Hello, and welcome to APQC's Knowledge Management Podcast. I'm Lauren Trees, and I'm APQC's Research Services KM Program Manager. And this month's podcast, I'm joined by APQC's CEO and KM Guru, Carla O'Dell. And on this podcast, Carla and I team up to tackle questions from our audience about where KM is headed and the impact we expect to see from cognitive computing technologies. So for this podcast, Carla and I are going to address some of the great questions submitted during our January community call, which focused on where KM is headed and specifically the impact that we see from cognitive computing and machine, machine learning trans technologies. So if you're interested in learning more about cognitive computing and the role that we think it's going to play, I encourage you to go listen to the community call that we recorded in January. And Carla and I also have a white paper that will be coming out a little later this year on some of these issues. But today I wanted to focus on some big picture questions that came out of the call, uh, some of which focus on cognitive computing and some on the future of knowledge management more generally. So I wanted to start with a big one. Uh, you know, everybody's always worried about what, what happens to me, right? So, what do we see as the role for KMers in the era of cognitive computing? Will there be one, or will KMers be redundant? Um, you know, and will cognitive computing make manual taxonomies obsolete? That's just such a great question, Lauren. I don't blame people for asking it. You know, one of the things we do know about the future is that we don't have any data on it. We don't know anything about the future, but what we do know is that from the past is that you get to reinvent it and reinvent your job. Knowledge management could very well benefit from the cognitive computing eliminating some of the content management and begging of the business units to curate their own content and eliminate some of that while it frees knowledge management people up to play a more facilitative role and strategic role. They've still got to facilitate communities of practice. They still have to be able to figure out what's, which ones are important to have. They need to be able to figure out what social media and what things to point the cognitive computing at to understand what's going on in the organization. And they've still got to make the case for the budget. So the whole, everything around tacit knowledge, as you pointed out in the past, is going to be critical. But the facilitation role, I think, is critical. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that my, my hope I don't know if it's a prediction, but it's definitely a hope is that this is going to allow people to refocus on some of the real deep knowledge transfer issues inside their organizations. Because, I mean, cognitive computing at its heart is an analytical model. And what we know about analytical models is garbage in, garbage out. If you're not getting all of the information in, then you can't get the right answers out. And if all of the knowledge is still stored in people's heads, you know, if you have one expert who knows all those things, but they're not documented and we're not doing things to, you know, to make that knowledge accessible either to other people or to the systems that are going to help us generate these answers, then we're not going to get very far. So, um, you know, I think a lot of knowledge management programs have been really focused on some of these tactical, keeping the lights on in terms of curating content and getting things to be accessible, um, that if some of those challenges get a little bit easier, we'll be able to focus on what are some of the really key important things moving forward. And in terms of the taxonomy piece of this question, you know, 
I think even the best system isn't going to take us all the way. You know, we may be able to eliminate some of the taxonomy work that we've done in the past, but we're still going to have to go that last mile, um, you know, in terms of making sure that content is tagged and filtered in a way that makes sense for the individual users. I agree with that. There's one of the virtues of taxonomy is it gives us a map of where knowledge uh, how knowledge relates to the other pieces of knowledge in the organization. And the machine can do some of that, but at the the only thing that teaches machines is people. And so your experts end up having to teach the machine anyway. So we talked a lot on the call about the role of cognitive computing in transforming search. And we got a few questions along the lines of, well, shouldn't the future of KM be about avoiding the need to search? So I wanted to address that today. Well, I was thinking about that question. It's a great one. I think it's going to help a lot um, when people need something. One of the things cognitive computing will do is put this whole idea of a personalized portal on steroids for an employee. And hopefully, if you've got enough money to invest in a system and enough experts who can tell you what an employee needs to know at each stage of a project or process, then I think it can help deliver it in real time. I know from my own experience, though, that I always have other questions and that I'm going to want to search. So I think there's, the role of search will probably change. I think I was thinking about it in the context of the search experience. So right now we put in keywords, maybe we do some filtering, we get a list of documents or web pages back that might contain our answer, and that's what we think of as search. Whereas in this new world order, we're thinking that we're going to pose a question in natural language. A lot of that process that we do now manually is going to be done behind the scenes by computer models, and it's going to come back with an answer to our direct question. So I don't think search is going to go away in the sense of looking for an answer, but search in the very manual process that we have for it now may go away. Mm -hmm. yeah. It'll do some of the filtering for us and say, I read this document for you, Lauren. Here's the answer. Exactly. I, I look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> so we got a lot of questions about what the landscape out there looks like um, around are any organizations already using some of these tools for, uh, you know, KM and other applications, and who we see as the leading vendors in this area? So to address the second part of that first, I think on the vendor side, we know that IBM Watson is the, the biggest, most noticeable player in this area. Um, but, but it's a field with tons of potential, and we've seen a lot of smaller firms and startups come up. And in the last few years, we've seen some of the really big players like Google and Intel, you know, the companies that you expect to be on the leading edge of, of computing, kind of acquiring some of those startups. So I think we're going to see this landscape diversify a lot. I actually found, when I Googled and searched, um, a site that has the machine intelligence landscape right now, which lists all the vendors, kind of the core technologies, the enterprise technologies, industries, and uh, HR, and of course other supporting technologies. And if you just Google machine intelligence landscape, uh, it should come up. And it's a Bloomberg beta site, and it's www.shivonzillies.com, which I will spell. 
S-H-I-V-O-N-Z-I-L-I-S.com, Machine Intelligence. And we'll put a link to that up with the okay. podcast. Um, so caveat, but caveat emptor, you know, this was printed on a certain day. It may change yes. by the time you get there. Hopefully a cognitive system can answer this question in a more up-to-date fashion Excellent. in the, the next few years. So in terms of that, the second half of that question around what organizations are already using cognitive computing, um, I, I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of exciting applications in things like, you know, marketing and, um, you know, risk detection and things like that. I think in the KM space, organizations are still really getting their feet wet. Um, Carly, you've done a lot of work with the KM Advanced Working Group here at APQC, and they're they're really interested, and they're starting to do some really cool things, but we're at early stages. Yeah, they uh, this group of very advanced companies is really trying to, in KM, really trying to shape the future of KM's use of cognitive technologies and get out ahead of the rest of their organization so they can say, how could we use this and, for, and what's the benefit? So we're, I, I think in the next couple of years, we'll have some more concrete case studies that we can point to on the early adopters that are really starting to grapple with this. So that, that's really exciting. So we got a lot of questions around, um, you know, what do we think a simple cognitive computing solution is going to cost to purchase and maintain, and how easy is it going to be to integrate the technology with existing systems? I don't know that we have all the answers there, but Carla, I know you've been thinking about, you know, what's going to happen to the pricing, so I wanted to address that. I think there are going to be um, test technologies that you can test and play with at low cost and free that are in the cloud. IBM's got one, I think it's called Bluemix. If you're an, uh, a developer, you can use it to all that uh, behind-the-scenes power to create an app or, or application for your organization. Uh, the, if you want to get really serious about it, though, you're going to have to pay, and you're going to have to pay for that from anybody. So we don't know what that costs because we don't know what people are going to want or ask for. The, uh, the I can guarantee one thing, the prices will come down. Whatever they are today are going to come down dramatically in the next three years. Well, and one other thing I was thinking about in this area is Lewis Richardson from IBM is going to be speaking at ABQC's KM conference in April. And when I've heard him speak previously and in talking to him about the conference, I think one of his messages is that tools like IBM Watson are becoming more accessible financially and in other ways to a wider swath of organizations. So I think that would be a great question for us, somebody to bring up and raise their hand at the conference and, and address. Great point. Um, you know, I think he'd be a great source for that. Um, you know, and in terms of the, the integration, I mean, I'm not an IT expert, but my understanding of these technologies is that they're going to be able to traverse a wide variety of sources of content and data and information and, and bring information together. So I think that they're designed to, for integration to not be one of the biggest hurdles the way it has been with some technologies in the past. That's the, that's the hope. And uh, to speak to Microsoft specifically, because about 66% of our members use SharePoint, uh, they are integrating their own cognitive technologies into SharePoint into new versions of that, too. So that'll, we expect to see more of that on every front. So there were a lot of questions on the call around the security implications of cognitive computing. 
especially when you're looking at someone's emails or past search results to identify context or expertise areas. So I think there's probably more questions than answers in this area right now, but I wanted to ask you, Carla, you know, has the advanced working group, you know, talked about this? You know, do they have any conclusions or any strategies in mind mm -hmm. or what, what your general take is on this? Well, let's talk about the, the two parts of the uh, equation. One is the source content and permission to use it, and then the other is the, um, the delivery of the content. So the security concerns are, the, the first is more of a privacy concern and a technical concern, the source of it. The security is more of a delivery. Who's going to get to see this stuff? Let's deal with this, the security end first. The, there's all kinds of business rules and access right now to all kinds of content. So organizations are pretty clear, their IT departments and their risk departments, who gets to see what. And it'll, it'll be a question of making sure when they are pointing the, for example, whatever cognitive search capability they've created at these databases, who gets to actually see it on the other end. As long as you're pointing your uh, technology tool at internal content, then it's really the question of access by your own employees. And your business rules should cover what they are and are not allowed to both see and transmit to others. I'm not saying that it's um, easy, but we have some precedent there. On the source side, while legally, and at least in the US, not necessarily in Europe, a company owns whatever content is flowing across its systems, there is the moral question, an ethical question, about who owns the data about me and what I do. And I think we're still in the very early days of figuring out what is the what uh, Alex Pentland at MIT and Dav and the World Economic Forum call the New Deal on data? And do you own your own data? Do you have do you own what others do to it? So you may own your data, your data of your searches, but do you own Google's analysis of it? Are merging it with other organizations' data? All of that is still being worked out. So I, th I think there's a lot of exciting things going on. But these, these are things we have to grapple with, not just at an enterprise level, but at a societal level. Absolutely. So these, these are questions that we're going to have to at least start trying to solve, I think, or, the, or they're going to eat us alive. So um, it's, a, it's an interesting moment. Well, people really are looking at this big consortia of, the, of all the big players in this space to whom who make their money on data, like Google. And they are, and the government's in on those, and the uh, European Union. I mean, there's big conversations underway. Far bigger than you and I. Yeah, exactly. So we've talked a lot about the applications provided by new technologies and some of the changes that we think we're going to see. Um, you know, but we got some more basic questions about, you know, what are the significant changes we expect to see in the overall strategy and approach for KM? And, you know, if, if you're just getting started, this probably isn't where you want to be. So how can you motivate and involve, you know, end users, employees in KM? I really think that the, the basic strategic framework that we put together based on 25 years now of research, of work in KM and helping people get started will not change. You still got to understand the, the value proposition for the business. You still have to understand where in the business there's readiness and willingness and opportunity 
to use knowledge management for a purpose that matters to employees and to the to the organization, and the development of the of the supportive infrastructure to make that happen, and the communities of practice, all of that is going to. Uh, you know, while the technology enablement may change, and not tomorrow, but at some point, I don't think the basic strategy changes. It hasn't for a hundred years <laughs> in terms of what drives change in organizations. No, I think that's right. I think there's some really exciting things we were talking about earlier around content curation and management that may change. Um, you know, hopefully getting rid of some of those um, manual things that are so hard to get employees to do. I think in terms of expertise location, the approach may change a little bit, moving away from these manually created profiles towards something that's more dynamic and pulls in data from a wider variety of sources. I think organizations are still struggling to figure out how to fit the social toolkit and things like Yammer into their organizations without losing the incredible power and value of traditional communities of practice. Um, so that's something that we see our members grappling with and that we are actually going to be looking at on our 2016 research agenda in KM. Um, you know, and, and a continued focus on tacit knowledge, I don't think that those approaches change very much. They're still important, but organizations are still trying to figure out the best way to address those issues. But in terms of the overall strategy, I, I completely agree with you. I think, um, you know, organizations have to look at all of the work that's been done in this area, and to that extent, I would encourage you to go look at our interactive knowledge management framework mm -hmm. at abtc.org slash km-framework, which walks through the, the process of building that value proposition and the strategy and then the governance and implementation through to the maintenance and evolving and expanding and enhancing your KM capabilities. It really looks at the end-to-end -end process. And then we've also done a lot of research around knowledge management maturity and how organizations progress through the maturity levels. So if you go and search for the levels of KM maturity or APQC KM accelerators on the, on the site, you can find a lot of information around that as well. And it, I think that's a really important point that we have a lot of tools that they can use to design a strategy. They'll know when they design their strategy whether their organization is on the cusp of using cognitive computing or whether that is Star Wars kind of science fiction at this point and could be years away. So that becomes just another part of your, of your strategy and your toolkit. But we always tell people don't get overly enamored with the technology and the capabilities. Start with a business problem, figure out, you know, it may be a brand new tool that can solve it, and it may be something that's been out there for 30 or 300 years that can solve it, but if you're focused on those business problems and solving them, then that's how you create value, that's how you build and expand on the business case. Um, you know, if, if you sit there and you're telling people all these cool things that your technology can do, then you're only going to get so far. So these were great questions, Lauren, and I'm looking forward to hearing the next round of maybe a year from now and see what kind of questions people are asking then, what's changed in a year. Absolutely. I think it's an exciting area to, to keep our eye on. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about cognitive computing and the role that we think it's going to play in KM, we encourage you to listen to our January KM community call uh, on KM in 2016 and beyond. And Carla and I also have a white paper coming out on this topic later this year based on some research from APQC's KM Advanced Working Group. As always, the best place to look for information about KM is in APQC's knowledge base at apqc.org.